So US services, is the sector growing or falling? Two conflicting sets of numbers over the last week, but markets seem to take it that the Fed will have to do more to control it. Whatever it is, that's pushing up yields and hurting equities. So does that impact next week's rate hike? Well, probably not, but maybe the terminal rate will go higher. And what about the RBA today? Happy to sit on a 25 basis point hike. Then what? It's Tuesday, the 6th of December, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, I'll tell you, there's not a lot of risk appetite so far this month. Shares are down again in the United States. The Nasdaq has lost 1.9% at close this morning, a 1.8% fall for the S&P 500 and a 1.4% drop in the Dow at close. Consumer discretionary is the biggest uh, category to lose out, down about 2.9%. Financials also well down. Shares also down in Europe, more than half a percent for the Eurostox 50 and the DAX. The CAC Caron down 0.7%. U.S. Treasury Yields have seen big rises up, up 11 basis points to 3.60%, regaining some of the falls that we saw last week. Smaller rises for 10-year yields in Germany and France. And in the UK, 10-year gilts fell five basis points. Uh, but we also saw the FTSE 100 rising uh, as well this morning. So going against the grain in both ways. The US dollar is rising for change, up 0.7%, but still only a little over 105 on the DXY index, close to its lowest it's been uh, since August. But the dollar is up one. 0.8% on the Japanese yen, whilst the euro is down 0.4%. The pound has lost 0.8%. The Aussie dollar down 1.4%, back below 67 US cents this morning. And oil down, well down, over 3.3% lower for WTI, just a bit over $77 now. And a 3% drop in Brent, which is below 83 a barrel. And it's back to uh, Tapas Strickland today from NAB in Sydney. So, um... We saw jobs holding up on Friday, wages not dying down. Now the ISM services number for the US this morning uh, up to 56.5 from 54.4, bigger increase than expected. Also, employment is rising in those numbers, business activity is up, prices not falling. Here is a checklist of things that the Fed just doesn't want to see. They want to see a slowdown so that uh, that pushes prices down. It's just not happening that way, is it? Uh, good morning, Phil. Yeah, really interesting developments overnight and a bit of a reversal of some of the price action that we did see last week in response to Chair Powell's speech. And one of the key drivers of that was an article by the Wall Street Journal uh, Fed whisperer, Nick Timoreos. Um, and he just noted mm. that while uh, US Fed officials do plan to increase rates by 50 basis points at the next meeting, next week. Um, Elevated wage pressures, as noted in the payrolls print that you are talking about just before, uh, could lead them to continuing to lift to a higher level than investors currently expect. Um, So a slightly change in tone, and a lot of people do look at uh, Nick's piece as um, some kind of guide to what is, or some kind of communication mechanism that the US Fed uh, uses. And uh, in that respect, when you look at terminal Fed funds pricing, it has inched a little bit higher. So currently sitting at 4.99% by mid-2023. And um, on Friday, it was sitting um, at 4.92%. So just a slight edging up there. But what is also notable is that markets continue to heavily price the prospect of the Fed cutting rates in the second half of 2023. And there's still 44 basis points worth of cuts priced in there. So even though you've seen a little bit of reversal of last week's moves, uh, markets are still pricing in um, the chances that the Fed cuts rates and cuts rates quite aggressively in the second half of next year. Right. So I've asked this question before and I'm never quite sure whether I've got the answer to it. Why? Is that because they just... People feel as though they're going to push too far and it's going to do the job or they're going to push too far 
and the impact is going to be so severe they feel like they've got to do some reversal. I think the bond market is seeing that you're going to get some kind of moderation in inflation pressures, particularly on the good side of the economy. And then the second one is is that most analysts do think the US economy is heading towards a mild US recession sometime next year. And uh, you're talking about the ISM that came out last night on the services side. There's no real hints there really that activity is, is weakening. And indeed, not too much real insight that uh, inflation pressures are easing. And that's part of the reason why you've seen a, a risk-off mode last night with uh, US equities down is you look at the headline ISM printed at 56.5 versus 53.5 expected. The prices paid index was only down so slightly to 70 from 70.7. And uh, supply deliveries, uh, firms are still finding it a little bit difficult in terms of uh, supply chain. So still at 53.8. So no real alleviation in terms of some of the themes in the services. Yeah, and yet we had yeah this, we had the services PMI last week, which fell. I mean, telling you know down to forty six point one, well into contraction territory. So it's the opposite story. So who do we believe? Obviously, the markets are believing the ISM numbers the way they're they're reacting today. Although, as you say, a lot of it is because of uh, uh, Nick's article in the Wall Street Journal rather than those numbers. But it's just added to that uh, to that uh, risk off sentiment, hasn't it? it? It does, and this is the confusing picture, and it's always a little bit confusing um, ahead of the cyclical peak is you start to get different indicators um, giving different hints exactly what's going on. And as you noted, the S&P PMIs, which are also a measure of business activity, gave a very contrasting read. And you look at the services PMI out of the S&P and that came in at 46.2. So basically in contractionary territory. And just to give you some flavor for the way the people at S&P are interpreting their own survey is they're saying that um, that is broadly consistent with the US economy contracting in the fourth quarter at an annualized rate of approximately 1%. And then also that uh, they were picking up reports of discounting in order to stimulate sales as some kind of retrenchment of sales was was coming in the, in the months ahead. So very contrasting reads and exactly where the US economy plays out is still very uncertain. But the higher you lift rates, the more likelihood that the US economy will slow and more likelihood that it'll go into recession. And so with that outlook, if you've got people like Nick Timurayo saying that Fed is going to hike and possibly continue to hike rates higher than levels that investors currently expect, then the probability of a recession next year is higher. Also, the magnitude or the severity of that recession is probably a little bit higher if the Fed continues to hike as well. So in that respect, it's no surprise then to see markets pricing in some fairly aggressive rate cuts in the second half of next year. And yet, have they, is there time? I mean, the Fed doesn't tend to, you know, cut so soon after rising. I mean, this would be, I mean, I know we are in unusual times, but I mean, if you look back in history, it's it would be unusual for them to rate high uh, rates quite so much as they have this year only to pull them back down the, the, the year that follows. Oh, it's, it's not too unusual. I think the average length between the peak in the Fed funds rate and the first cut is about seven to nine months. So it's it's not unusual in that respect. And uh, I'm used to peak yet. Inflation, unemployment is, are very lagging indicators. And so once the data does turn, mm-hmm. then the Fed can react relatively aggressively. But really key will be services inflation and uh, wages inflation. And if you don't see any turn in those, then uh, it's hard to see that the Fed can actually start to ease ease policy just because inflation would remain too high. But if you did see those two things turn, and there is still some prospect that you may start to see that turn uh, towards um, into early next year, uh, then you may see some validation of that pricing. 
So, uh, and the other piece of news, of course, overnight was factory orders as well in the US, up 1% month on month. So again, well above expectations. So sort of more fuel to the fire that good news is bad news as far as, you know, just uh, prompting the uh, the Fed to do more. Uh, we get the inflation numbers, of course, before. This is very different, of course, as well today The market to the market response when Jerome Powell spoke last week. We get inflation numbers before the next Fed meeting. December the 13th is when we get the next inflation read. Is that going to impact what the, what the Fed does? I mean, do we? I, I mean, there was the talk that they are going to slow the rate hikes down. Could they change things for December, or is uh, markets just looking at the end rate and and just assuming that they are going to slow down a little bit this month? Oh, I think Tuesday's CPI figures are going to be very important, especially for the magnitudes of rate increases after December. So uh, in Nick's piece, at least, it said uh, signs of continued strong price pressures could lead more of them to consider raising rates by 50 basis points at consecutive meetings this month and in February. So um, if you did get a strong CPI print on Tuesday, then you'd have to say the probability of of another 50 basis point increase in February is higher. Um, Mm. I think most people are expecting the Fed would downshift from 50 basis points in December to 25 basis points in the new year. But if you still had very strong inflationary pressures, then um, the Fed would have less ability to, to do that. But of course, really, it's going to be about the inflation data. It's going to be about the wages data and exactly how those two things play out uh, into the end of this year and into next year. Right. OK, well, we've got the RBA today and the expectation there is for 25 basis points. Now, I don't know if, we, if much credence is given to the Melbourne Institute's inflation gauge, but that is up. I notice 1% month on month. Business inventories have climbed. Company profits are down, feeling the squeeze. Both of those are a sign of slowing demand, surely. But conversely, the business indicator survey yesterday showed labour costs are growing. So I'm not sure. What do we make of all of that? The Melbourne Institute uh, survey is interesting in the sense that we've recently uh, created a monthly inflation indicator in Australia, or at least the ABS has, and there's been a lot of difficulty in interpreting that, particularly because um, there's not a large history of seasonal moves in that index. So people mm. still getting used to what kind of seasonality could be there. Um, in the Melbourne Institute, that's been going for quite some time. And uh, it was interesting to note that the price rise in November, I think it was 1% in the month. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it does suggest that... Um, the monthly CPI indicator for November when it comes out in early January um, may be relatively strong and that may push back on some of the notions that some analysts had out there that perhaps inflationary pressures were starting to ease a little bit in, in Australia because they saw some signs in that October survey. But we thought it was way too early to um, say that, especially just given that the CPI monthly indicator only surveyed um, about 60% of the CPI basket. Um, in terms of the labour cost stuff, uh, just really interesting in that business indicator survey, when you look at the quarterly prints of um, the private sector wages bill, it rose 2.9% Q&Q after 3.1% in Q2. And uh, that occurred even as employment growth slowed. So it was all basically coming through wages and bonus payments and things like that. And just worth noting, quarterly rates of growth of that magnitude have not been seen since the height of the mining boom back in 2007. So uh, in our view, Mm. we think it's way too early for the RBA to even consider pausing rates. Um, Inflationary pressures in Australia are still strong. There's signs of wages growth lifting to rates inconsistent with the RBA target if the RBA cash rate was left at the current rate. So we still think um, the RBA will hike rates today by 25 basis points. That's pretty much what most analysts are are thinking out there, although the market is pricing uh, a 
slightly less probability. And, and again um, in February, obviously. Oh, then no, no. And pause. again in February and March. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we'll see how that all all plays out uh, in Europe very quickly. That we saw a big fall in retail sales, down one point eight percent month on month for October for the euro area. That wouldn't come as a surprise. It does vary enormously as well. So it's down three point three percent for Belgium, for example, and just zero point two percent for for France. But what will do Europe the world of good? Uh, Germany in particular would be China reopening, uh, provided you know they can ramp up their energy to uh, to provide the exports that China might want. Uh, but we've seen equities in China and Hong Kong rising yesterday on this continual story about reopening hopes. Uh, the yen up quite a bit as well. Uh, it seems real. Uh, shares have got a long way to go, haven't they, to get back to where they were between pre-pandemic levels. Uh, I see the Wall Street Journal reporting that the Foxconn factory uh, that makes uh, iPhones saw output fall 11% in November. Uh, so the question is, you know, how much of this is going to bounce back again and how quickly? Because there is always the question, isn't there, if they reopen and they're not, uh, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum on the podcast over recent weeks, if they're not used to the disease... What is the fatality rate going to be like? Are they going to hold their uh, hold their own and uh, and carry on with that reopening if, if if people are dying, or or is this just going to be something that uh, you know we go through a cycle on this? I think there'll be a lot of volatility with uh, China's re- uh, reopening or tentative reopening, and we're just worth noting uh, most people still don't expect them to fully start that pivot until the winter is over. Um, but the encouraging mm. sign is that they're going on that track, and that's what markets are reacting to. So when you look at equity market benchmark. In the in China, they're up two and a half to four and a half percent. So a lot of optimism um, that uh, in the early next year, in the middle of next year, um, the Chinese economy will look very different to the way it's looking right now. And then you we're not seeing it reflected this- in the Aussie. We're not seeing it reflected in the Aussie dollar today, though, and one of the hardest hit currencies. Uh, yes, yeah, so that's partly because of the strength in the US dollar and also the sell-off in uh, US equities. And you have to say that's one risk for the Australian dollar is that <coughs> it's obviously getting quite a lot of support from uh, the China reopening headlines and following uh, the movements in CNY and CNH. But at the same time, it is one of the biggest risk proxies out there. Um, and uh, if you did get a further sell-off in US equities, um, then you may see a little bit of downside risk in the Australian dollar, even though it is one of the most leveraged to a China reopening play. Yeah, of course, those rising yields in in, uh, in the US not helping uh, the yen either because uh, their treasury yields, you know, Japanese bond yields, uh, 0.26% for 10 years, go back a month, 0.26%. Go back a couple of months, pretty much 0.26%. <laughs> I mean, they're going nowhere at all. No, definitely. And just uh, in terms of uh, China, China reopening and uh, the future of manufacturing production, just worth noting that uh, within that article you're reading, Phil, on Apple, um, that they're actually mm. telling the suppliers to start shifting some of the production out of China towards other countries such yes. as Vietnam and India. So this um, trend towards regionalization um, towards uh, shifting or diversifying uh, production chains away from China. I think he's going to be an enduring theme that has come out of the yeah, past well, like Tesla, for example, years. as well. Yep. Tesla doing the same thing. Yeah. So look, today uh, we hear how much less building work is going on in New Zealand. Well, you'd be surprised if that wasn't the case. We get the Aussie current account balance, German factory orders, the US trade balance. Not big news. I mean, obviously, the, a lot of the focus today is going to be on the RBA. But anything you want to add on those things quickly before we move oh, on? Just on the RBA, although most people think the RBA is going to lift rates by 25 basis points, the uh, concluding paragraph is going to be quite important in terms of how the RBA shapes the outlook for the trajectory for, for rates. And there's a big divergence between the post-meeting statement for November and what was 
in the minutes and in recent speeches. So in recent speeches and in, in the minutes, they're talking about different options the RBA could do. And one of those options included pausing for some time to assess the outlook and, and inflation. And that wasn't contained in the post-meeting statement in, in November. So there is some probability that that kind of language could find itself in the post-meeting statement, which may give it a little bit of a softer tone, even though in our view, the RBA continues uh, or should continue to hike rates um, for the next few meetings. Right. Okay, very good. Thanks, Tapas. Uh, we'll catch you again soon. Good to talk. Cheers. And I think I've counted this right. There's now only 11 morning calls left till Christmas. Tell that to your kids. That's going to get them excited. Uh, so enjoy it while you can. I'm back again tomorrow morning for another one. I'm Phil Dobby for now. See you then.